Hey, how are you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. Thanks for listening. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the online accounting software that makes self-assessment and VAT easy because they've been making tax digital for years. To claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash beingfreelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for SEO consultant Steve Morgan. It's my first ever work from home job. So at first, I loved the novelty of it. And then I just started to get really bored and I felt really isolated. The good thing is, is um, I don't really need that many clients to be at full capacity, which means I can be choosy with clients as well. I don't like hard selling or anything like that. And I found the best way to sell is not to sell. So I'd rather just kind of help people, give a bit of advice. And then that over the years has been what's really helped me. Yes, there is Steve, who, by the way, as this goes out, was at Freelance Heroes Day earlier this week. If you went to Freelance Heroes Day, it's an online community called Freelance Heroes. They had like a conference event type thing. And it was this week and Steve was one of the speakers. But this was recorded before that happened. But yes, if you just met Steve, well, you're about to hear his story in this week's episode. Don't forget, beingfreelance.com is the website where you can find all of the other guests. Doesn't matter what they do for a living. It's all about the being freelance and there's like i know 160 170 episodes now that you can find online next month we're going to be doing the podcast live in london if you're about on thursday the 20th of june there's a link at beingfreelance.com in the event section which gives you the details it's with the ipsy people they're having a big freelancer conference and i'm doing a talk on podcasting actually if you want to come along to that but also we're doing the podcast live and it would be amazing to have you there we're going to be chatting to past winners of ipsy's freelancing awards So actually, it should be interesting to find out, you know, what makes an award-winning freelancer, in quotation marks. We will find out that day. So yeah, come join us for that. Speaking of events, right, shall we crack on, though, and find out what it's like being freelance for this week's guest over in Wales. It is freelance SEO consultant Steve Morgan. Hey, Steve. Hello, Steve. Oh, the two Steves together. This doesn't often happen. Don't often have no. I'm, I'm, I'm even now questioning whether we've ever had a Steve before. I'm shocked at this. I am very, very shocked. I know it's going to be very easy for the person who transcribes it because it'll be Steve, 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 Steve. <laughs> okay, as ever. How about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Okay, so I've been doing SEO, uh, which stands for Search Engine Optimization, for over 10 years now. Uh, My background in the early days was mostly working at agencies. My older brother started an agency and I was his first employee. So that was kind of a really good way to kind of see a business, a small business running in the early days and what kind of things happen. I did a brief contract role at Confuse.com. I worked at another agency. And then it was getting to the point where my parents are self-employed, my brother was self-employed, and um, I kind of got the self-employment bug from them. And it got to a point where people were approaching me and saying, because uh, they couldn't afford the agency I was working at, at the time, but wanted to work with me and said, oh, if you ever do any freelance work, say evenings and weekends, let me know and I'll become a client. And at first I had one or two of these offers and thought, great. And then it got to the point where I had about 10 people say that to me. And I thought, so... If I do actually leave the agency and set up freelance full time and only a few of them come off, because realistically not all 10 would come off, then um, that could be a really good way to um, jump into freelancing. So I quit my agency job in May 2013 and went freelance and I've been freelancing ever since. So nearly six years. 
So your parents and your brother all have the self-employed bug. Did you pick anything up from them? It was really handy in like um, the early days, especially my parents. Um, they've run multiple businesses. So um, they're retired now, well, m- retired from most things, but they ran an IT recruitment agency. They have some um, property rentals in Spain. Uh, my dad's a landlord, um, private landlord. In the sort of first few months, I was just picking their brains as much as possible to learn as much as I could. And any question I had, bless them, I would sort of fire their way. What do I do about this? What do I do about that? And they also put me in touch with a few people. So, yeah, definitely they were kind of, as well as being a big inspiration, they were extremely, extremely handy to pick the brains of in the early days. So you got your first clients basically by having people you were already working with coming to you saying, if you're freelance ever, we'd like to work with you, right? Yeah, not all of them were people who were already working with me. So they were just people that I knew from roundabout. Before going self-employed, I used to go to a couple of blogger meetups. So some of them were either those people or referrals from those people. Well, the one thing that was quite um, surprising in the end, or maybe it wasn't surprising in hindsight, was um, out of those 10 or so people that came on board, only one came on board and it was a very small retainer. So I was kind of in panic mode then thinking, right, because I'd already left my job and I'd gone from like a full-time agency job to full-time freelancing with one small client. So I kind of uh, went into panic mode and over and sort of networking overdrive then and kind of just hit the ground running on the networking front. But how long did that take you to then... Build, build the number of clients that you actually needed. I was quite lucky in the end. It took a, it was it was kind of a hairy initial couple of months, but I think by about month three or four, I broke even on initial costs of setting up, and I think by month six, I was at full capacity for the first time. So it didn't take you know overly long. I know some people where they might have achieved those milestones a bit quicker or had gone into freelancing straight away with you know a few big clients, but um, you know it could have been a lot worse, I guess. And obviously, I introduced you as an SEO consultant. Is that what you were calling yourself when you first went freelance? Yeah, and still do now. So essentially, SEO in terms of helping people improve their organic rankings in Google. But I tend to kind of help out with other things as well with some clients. So for some clients, I might just do SEO stuff and that's it. But then other clients, I also do a bit of content creation for them where I outsource a blog post to a copywriter I used to work with. One or two, I even help out with social media, just on Twitter and stuff like that. So it's not really like my main focus, but for some of them, I've kind of dabbled in doing these additional things for them as well, or kind of helped out where they've needed a helping hand. But primarily, I'd say about 90, 95% of what I do is just SEO. And does that mean as a consultant that you tend to go in, work with a client for a little bit and then leave? Or how, how does it look like for you? It varies. So a lot of my clients actually have been on ongoing retainers and one or two of them have been with me since 2013, 2014. So still got some clients that have been with me all this time. And it depends on the nature of the project. It's not just consultancy in terms of I turn up, give them some advice and then disappear. I do try and make implementations if I can and try and actually, you know, to to my ability, I'm not like from a developer background or anything like that. So depending on what type of SEO work it is, I might be able to implement, uh, do the implementation on their behalf instead of just telling them to do it. And then, you know, how these things go, they might not actually implement it, but I can be flexible. So some clients just need a small bit of, I remember one client just needed me to do a small bit of keyword research for them. It was a quick one off job. That was it. Another client where they do just want me to do the consultancy and they do the implementation, but I kind of help them with it. It's a mixed bag, really. But the majority of work I do is kind of ongoing retainer and it's kind of um, making implementations on an ongoing basis. And where does the majority of your work come from 
now? Like, because it started with you like going out and meeting people in the flesh, but obviously you're an SEO consultant. So I'm imagining that your own website must help too. It does. Yeah. It, um, it ranks okay. I, I'll happily admit that. It's um, it's one of those typical things where, and I think a lot of web designers and people I've met have said this, where your own website is kind of like the last thing you pay, you know, concentrate on, you know, if you're busy working <laughs> on clients. So, uh, and also I'm up against other agencies who have, you know, they might employ like 10 of me. So <laughs> they've got an unfair advantage. Well, it's not really unfair, but you know what I mean? So um, I do get people say they found me for certain, you know, searches, online marketing Cardiff, SEO Cardiff, things like that, a freelance SEO consultant Cardiff. To be honest with you, the majority of it comes through word of mouth. So it's um, through networking that I've done over the years, not just um, before going freelance and the, the initial first months of freelance, as I mentioned before, but just kind of over the years, various different activities I've gotten involved with, whether that's going to events and meetups, speaking at them. For the last couple of years, I've been running my own meetup as well. I'm also based in a co-working space, so that's been good. It's kind of like being a mixture of everything. And I can't really say there's like, you know, one, it's difficult to say because some, some of the activities I might have done years ago might be most responsible for me getting clients now. So I can't necessarily say that oh, what I'm doing now is helping me right now, if that makes sense. Mm. Wow. Tell you what, let's unpick <laughs> like three of the things you just mentioned all in one go. So one of them was the fact that you started speaking at some point. Like, did, how did that come about? Do you know what? I can't even remember how the first opportunity came about. I know that in my last agency job, I did like an internal talk. So they used to do like, um, I think it was like Friday lunchtimes or something where you could do a talk to your colleagues. And I did one of those. And then I also did it at a small like online, like sort of like an online business, online marketing meetup. And I can't remember if they approached me or I approached them. But then it kind of got to the point where I had more ideas for talks or I do a blog post and think this could make a good talk. And then I just ended up doing lots of different kinds of meetups. So off the top of my head, I did things like a web developer meetup. Uh, I've spoken at an SEO conference uh, in the UK twice, just all sorts of different things. I'd say the majority of them were like local meetups, but not necessarily like dedicated SEO meetups. They'd be like a, another one that's just sprung to my mind is like a WordPress meetup. So similar sort of things to that really. And are you going out and trying to get on those bills, as it were? I, I was, yeah. So in, in some cases, um, people approach me. In some cases, I approached them. You know, if they were kind of like actively looking for speakers. I think well, there's no harm me saying, you know, I could do a talk about this, that and the other. These days, I do sort of less SEO talks and I do less talks in general, although I have got one lined up. Um, in the next few weeks, uh, which is for Freelance Heroes Day, which is going to be talking about networking and sales tips and techniques. Okay, so that's speaking at events, but you also said that in the past couple of years, I think you've started arranging them too. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, I had the idea of years earlier, but a friend of mine said he was going to start running a digital marketing event. And I felt like I wanted to run an SEO meetup, but I didn't want to step on his toes. So I kind of left it for a while. And after a couple of years, it didn't look like he was going to move on the, those plans. Um, so I decided to start my own SEO meetup. Um, started it, I think it was the first one was May 2016, so about three years ago now. God, it's terrifying when I say it like that, because it, feel, it only feels like yesterday. But my background at university was I um, used to put on live music events as part of the Live Music Society. So I had a background in running events, albeit different kind. And so I've always enjoyed running events. And in fact, funny enough, coming out of university, events management is what I wanted to get into. 
But I graduated around the time of the recession and struggled to get a job in events management. And as mentioned before, my brother offered me a job at an SEO agency he was starting. And, you know, that's how I got into SEO. It's good because different kinds of events, but they're related to what I do these days. And I just enjoy running events. It's something I've always really liked. So it's, it's nice to be able to sort of flex that old muscle, if you will, but do it in a way that kind of benefits my business and also helps out the local community, that kind of thing, really. So, um, the event is called Cardiff SEO Meet. Um, takes place every sort of three, four-ish months. Or these days, it's every two months. But I have taken breaks in the past. And how do you find like managing that sort of workload in amongst everything else that you do? <laughs> uh, it's, it's, I struggle. <laughs> so it was one of those very naive things that I thought, oh, it's not going to be too much hassle. I just have to get two speakers for every event. Job done. You know, you forget that, like, as well as two speakers who might also need a bit of hand-holding and, you know, have questions, and you may need to chase them up on slides and things like that. I also run what I call a site review segment, where we audit a volunteered website live on the night and try and give a bit of help in the space of, like, 30 minutes, just the, me and the audience try and say, oh, you, you know, we've just had a quick look at your website, and we can do this, 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 and this to help you out. There's sponsors. The sponsors pay for food and drink at the venue. One of the sponsors likes to run training before the event. So I got to sort of help them out with that. So yeah, to answer your question. Oh, and there's all the promoting as well, tweeting about it, putting it on meetup.com, which is what I primarily use, putting it on the website, which is just launched. Yeah, it's a lot of... uh, lot of stuff to do i always forget and i always think oh it's going to be a five minute job and then i find like you know especially in the run-up to an event a few weeks ahead of an event i'm just spending uh, you know quite a few evenings kind of you know outside of doing billable client work just trying to get stuff done and then the other one was the co-work space so did you start off in there originally or did you start working from home no so um well but pretty much around the time i went freelance straight away i moved in there so when i When my brother's agency first started out, he worked from his house and I worked from my house for the first year. And it was my first ever work from home job. So at first, I loved the novelty of it. I loved, um, you know, I can be flexible of when I work. It doesn't have to be Monday to Friday, nine to five. I can, you know, have a long lunch break. I can play PlayStation whenever I want. And I loved it for a couple of months. And then I just started to get really sort of bored. And I felt really isolated because I just worked from my house. My brother did a lot of the sort of out and about with clients and networking. And I just kind of did work from my coffee table you know 40 hours a week so when and then eventually we hired more he he hired more staff and we moved into an office but I told myself if I ever went self-employed I would try and avoid working from home so the original plan was to kind of maybe work from home one two days a week and then be based at a co-working space for like one two days per week what I decided to do in the end is um, I met um, the co-working space I'm still at now, six years later. I met one of the, the one of the people who set it up at like um, just a random meetup. And I went to like the pre-launch event. Um, and then I think I mentored one or two of their startups uh, on behalf of one of my old agency jobs. And then I, when I went self-employed, straight away I said to them, oh, can I move in? And they said yes. And the rest is history. They've been putting up with me ever, ever since. What's it like, like as in... Are you all amongst each other? Is it? Do you find it like a it has? Well, I'm presuming you've done it for so long, but it has a good effect on your work. Like anything, it has its good moments and it has its bad moments. So I find when I'm at home, if I'm working from home, I get distracted and I may not be at full sort of, you know, even if I these days I have like a dedicated office, which is better than just kind of being in the living room kind of thing. But I might still get distracted and think, oh, I'll do, you know, I'll do some chores. So the good thing is when I go into the the office, the co-working space, I'm on full on like 
great, let's get some work done mode. But it might also mean that somebody just chats to me. It might be just, oh, hey, how's it going? What are you up to? It might be, um, you know, a new member moves in and I, I'd feel a bit rude if I just said hi and or didn't really talk to them. So I usually, you know, what do you do? And this is what I do and all that jazz. And, you know, if I've got a really busy day, um, that can be a real, it can be a bit of a pain. So, um, I mean, it's just trying to sort of fit it around, you know, try and fit the work around that. And I still find that even with like the commute back and forth, the co-working space, and even with, uh, you know, sort of minor interruptions like that, I still get a lot of work done and I still find it worthwhile. Plus the other added benefits of, um, you know, meeting people and, you know, potential networking opportunities um, around that as well. Yeah. Has work come from being there? Yeah, well, funny enough, I do actually a little bit of work for the co-working space itself. Plus, I, I have worked with quite a few of the different businesses in the past or the businesses have referred me on to someone. So maybe not directly working with, you know, a, a member of the co-working space, but they've passed my name on somebody else. So we've had speaking meetups, co-work spaces, SEO on your website, but not so much. Like I'm just thinking, is there any other marketing stuff that you do to get your name out there? Another good one that's worked for me is um, contributing to Facebook groups, but just being really sort of strict with like, rather than joining like 20 different Facebook groups, like just I'm only a member of a a small handful. So one of them is the private Facebook group for my co-working space, which is a good way to obviously chat to people beyond, you know, bumping into them in person. But another one is uh, there's a Facebook group called Cardiff Start, which as the name suggests is a Facebook group for startups and small business owners in uh, Cardiff. They have a really strict no self-promotion policy. So if I went on there and it's like, hey guys, hire me for SEO, they probably ban me instantly. But what I found over the years is that people have, um, if they've had an SEO question and put it on there, I try and help out best I can. And then there's even been times when people have said, oh, does anyone know an SEO consultant? And, you know, my name, I've been tagged once or twice in threads like that as well, which is great. So, you know, I've always contributed to that group under the guise of helping out and getting to know people, not under the guise of sell, sell, sell. You mentioned your brother and his business and growing and taking on staff and your mum and dad doing similar things. Has that ever been a temptation for you? It has. I've got two young kids. So at the moment, my plan is to stay just as me. And uh, the good thing is, is if I get to a certain, you know, certain point, I, you know, can just, well, I say it's a good thing. It's a bad thing. What am I on about? And if I get, you know, I, I might turn away work if I'm at full capacity and can't honor it. The good thing is, is I guess I, I can kind of have my flexibility and kind of control it a bit better than if I started hiring staff and, you know, get an office space and starting an agency. My plan is when the lit list is in full-time school, I might revisit that plan. But at the moment, I'm kind of content with how things are going. The good thing as well is one of the nice side effects of running the meetup, and I suppose all the networking I've done over the years, but especially if you're running Cardiff SEO Meet, is as well as meeting potential clients. I've also met, you know, future potential employees. And funny enough, um, a few events in, um, a guy I know who is a, a regular at the events, he actually um, emailed me his CV. He didn't realize I was just solo and thought I did hire staff and was uh, wanted to have a job with me. So it's, it's already proven that that could be an option in the future, that, you know, the meetup is a good way to meet, you know, people I might think maybe I want to hire that person one day. So it is in the pipeline. It is a possibility, but it's not one of those things where I feel like I need to rush into it or I feel like obliged to do it. Um, about sort of six to 12 months in, I got to a position where I probably could have hired staff 
there and then and then grown things but I didn't want to and didn't feel quite ready and it's probably it's probably been for the best because if I had done and you know things went pear-shaped especially with then having two young kids that might have really you know changed the, the dynamic and it might have been that I fell out of love with self-employment but at the moment I'm kind of happy with the way things are and an important note to say is that um, I've been taking on you know over the sort of six years I've been doing it I've been taking on bigger clients not only in terms of their name but also you know the size of the company and things like that and um, I've increased my hourly and day rate over the years as well so even though I've not sort of grown my business in terms of hiring bodies I have kind of put up my prices and so my business has grown financially. Sure. Yeah. How did it feel when you started sitting there thinking, hmm, I need to put my prices up? I think it was, um, I had a meeting with a business coach at the time and he was, and when I set my prices, I thought to myself, right, I know what the old, some of the old agencies I know used to charge at. And I kind of worked out, you know, I wouldn't be charging as much as them, but like, you know, I'd still be charging what I thought was a decent rate. And then I, I sat down with an old friend of mine who's a business coach and he was like, is that all you charge? I think you could, you know, at least double, if not triple that. And I was like, bloody hell. And I think over the years I've doubled it. So, which I think is fair enough because I've got 10 years experience now and back then I had five years experience. So it's not like I'm kind of taking the, I don't think I'm taking the mick with that kind of price increase. But um, it, it's it's an easy thing to do with a new client comes on board. I just say, hey, this is my hourly rate. They don't need to know what the old, old hourly rate was. But where it's tricky is with old clients. So the as I mentioned, a couple of my clients have been with me a few years and I have put the prices up a little bit. But not as much as like if I took on I, I less with those guys than if I um, took on a new client right now for the same amount of time. Because I feel a bit sheepish kind of, you know, I think the one time I, I increased prices because of inflation, I think I've done that twice. But I, I feel as though if I kind of do it above that, I'd be kind of taking the mick of it. And I know I might be in the wrong to say that there was a discussion on the freelance heroes group about um people saying, no, you've got to be quite brave and you've got to be quite brash. And like every year, put your prices up, no excuses. And I was like, whoa, okay, if you do want to do that, that's fine. Maybe that's not necessarily my style. But, um, you know, at the very least, it's good that I'm able to put up prices for like new clients to come on board. So there's kind of, at least I can kind of do it that way if you get me. Well, there's that certain element inside you where those early clients who are still with you now, they were supporting you right at the beginning when you needed them most. You know, I, and I can't fault them for that. I mean, there's, there's even the thing of like, you say to people, oh, put your prices, and people say, put your prices up. And if they don't accept those prices, then say goodbye to them. And in a way, I, I don't want to like say goodbye to them because like exactly like you said, you've hit the nail on the head. They supported me in my early days and they still continue to sort of support me now. And then obviously I support them with the work that I do, but it's not easy to just kind of be like, I feel I feel a bit awful if I kind of say, you know, through some, toss somebody to the curb or whatever the saying is, just because I think I can get a bit more money elsewhere. And um, that's not really going to do much for my reputation then. You know, people talk and it's a bit of a, a me being, I'm, uh, I live in Cardiff and my the co-working space I'm a member of is in Caerphilly, just outside Cardiff. But a lot of people joke saying South Wales is a very, very, very small world. And it wouldn't take much for if, if people got an impression that I sacked off old clients who on lower rates for, you know, clients on higher rates that, you know, that's going to reflect poorly on me, I think. And like, so you've got to be careful. You've got to make sure that you kind of don't make too many enemies because I think everyone knows everyone and, um, you know, you can't be too careful. I was going to ask about, you know, you said about picking the brains of your parents very early on. And I was sitting there thinking, I wonder who you pick the brains of now. But actually, you've already mentioned a business coach friend and also asking questions within Facebook groups. Yeah. So, yeah. And also the co-working space. The co-working space is a massive help. Just picking the brains of people here. 
but as you mentioned, like, you know, I might, I've done a couple of posts on Cardiff Start and the, the you know, the Facebook group for the co-working space, Welsh Ice. Just, just if the, yeah, I kind of asked my parents less these days, especially now they're retired. But I, I suppose it was kind of just in the early days and the sort of sort of six, first six months to a year that I needed to say like 90% of the help. And then kind of from then on, it's kind of, you know, mostly ran itself other than like, you know, issues that might come up later on. So like I had a, luckily this touch wood, this has only happened the once, but I had a non-paying client. And I had to take them to court in order to get my money. Um, so that was something that that was that was like two, three years ago. So not as late as uh, six years ago. So things like that, I guess. So there's been more things I've had to try and sort of learn later on down the line on the go. But primarily, it's all been kind of either self-taught or asking people I know and people who've been through it. After the non-paying client, did you put anything else into place to try to avoid that happening again? Or has it just been fortunate that it hasn't happened again? fortunate that it hasn't happened again i've just been more careful about how i take on clients it was it was an early client but um it went on for about a year of the work and by the time we got into the dispute with the, the remaining money that had been paid it was probably a couple of years ago hence why it, it was one of my very early clients i took on and back then i was probably i think i was just kind of saying yes to everyone and anyone who'd have me especially because i was kind of panicking about how low my look uh, workload was in the early days there were warning signs at the time, which I think I was just too naive and too new to freelancing to realise. So it's kind of like sort of avoiding those kind of, uh, keeping an eye out for that. And if the, I get any sort of bad gut feeling, I kind of, you know, would kind of turn a client away. The good thing is, is I don't really need that many clients to be at full capacity. And like I said, a few of my clients have been with me for a long time. So I'm pretty much, except for one, one or two instances over the years, I've been mostly at like full capacity, which means I can be choosy with clients as well. And I tend to go with those that are people I already know or they're a friend of a friend. Quite ironically, you ask me um, how people find me. And one of the options is through Google. And if someone approaches me through Google, they might not be somebody I know. So ironically, I might actually not necessarily work with that client. But if it's a referral through somebody at my co-working space or through Cardiff Start, then I'm probably more inclined to sort of work with them because I know that somebody's kind of, you know, somebody's vouched for me to do the work for them. But the, the person's also kind of, vouched for the client i guess i feel like a better way of saying it so yeah it's a case of just being more careful about who i work with now and being a bit choosier and pickier about who i work with so meetups co-working spaces speaking you've written a book as well right i have yeah i've just published it okay what's it called anti-cell anti-cell yeah that that kind of sounds like a whole concept in itself <laughs> something like that yeah so it's um subtitle is let's see, see if we can remember this without screwing it up um marketing lead generation and networking tips for freelancers who hate sales so it's kind of my perspective on things i've never been comfortable with the sales process i i've always enjoyed networking and meeting people but the idea of them paying me money and that kind of thing as i mean even though it's kind of standard and you know business practice it still makes me feel a little bit like ugh. and i think as well like i think a lot of people get put off by sales because they think of movies like um i can't remember the name of it now the alec baldwin one where he says you know coffee is for closers and always be closing and wolf of wall street and the bit in um the pursuit of happiness where will smith's character is like having to like cold call people i think people kind of get that like that sales has like a bad image and then that puts a lot of people off. For me, it's kind of just been, I, I've never agreed with that. I don't like hard selling or anything like that. And I found, hence the name of the book, the best way to sell is not to sell. So I'd rather just kind of help people, give a bit of advice. And then that over the years has been what's really helped me. So the book is all about that. So it goes through my story quite briefly and the tips that have worked for me um, with meeting people, networking with people and 
being referred work over the years. Cool. How long did it take you to write the book? So I started writing it. I had the idea, I think it was late 2017, and I, I, was, I started planning it early 2018. But as things go, I just didn't really make any progress at all the first few months. But um, I was really lucky that I won a ticket to a conference in Seattle in July last year. So a big SEO conference called uh, MozCon. And the plane had um, it was a 10-hour flight, uh, no Wi-Fi. So I just took my laptop on and thought, right, I'm going to write, start writing the book on the flights back and forth. I think I wrote 8,000 words on the two flights, uh, which ended up being about a quarter of the book. And the good thing about that is, as well as passing time on the plane, is that um, it was kind of a kick up the bum I needed to um, get started. So then beyond that, evenings and weekends around client and family commitments, mostly evenings when the kids were in bed, I would kind of chip away at it and kind of do a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. And then I finished the first draft in October. It took quite a while. to. It was one of those things where, in hindsight, I could have managed things a bit better, but I didn't want to go to the effort of um, hiring an editor, getting a book cover designer, and looking into all of that, and how do I self-publish on Amazon if I never actually finished the book. So I, I kind of like finished the book, and I was like, right, now what? Probably a silly approach, and it did delay things in the end. By the time it had been edited, although the editing was done in November, recorded the audiobook version in January, and the book cover designer, I don't think she had capacity until January. And there were some issues getting the paperback ready, although entirely my fault, not hers, I'll, I'll happily say. Uh, by the time the Kindle version was ready, that was late in February. And by the time the um, paperback and the audiobook versions were ready, that was March. So it's only been officially out there in all formats for about a month now. Wow, though. So you must learn so much from that experience doing it all yourself. Uh, yeah, it was, um, um, it was kind of the one thing where at my co-working space there's only like one or two people who've self-published or, or published a book so i couldn't really pick on the brain i picked the brains of people i knew i didn't really know anyone who'd written a book and some had written books but they had gone with a publisher or they hadn't done it through self-publishing on amazon so it was a lot of teaching myself i bought a couple of audiobooks to help me um learn the process a, a good one i'll mention is um by a guy called chandler bolt and he's called published uh, that was quite handy telling you kind of strategies for like publishing on Amazon. But yeah, a lot of it was kind of like, you know, learn on the go. And luckily, Amazon do make the process really easy. But like, you know, one of the most embarrassing mistakes I made was um, the, the plan was never to do paperback. It was just to do Kindle and audiobooks. So when I hired the uh, book designer, she just kind of, you know, the plan was just to do something that would work well as an image on Amazon, on iTunes store, on my website. And it would be doing like a front cover, back cover spine as like an afterthought. But she offered to do that as well. And, you know, I paid her back extra and she did that and early on i sent her the template and she said she jokingly said oh i'm glad you're doing it and because if i downloaded it, i probably downloaded the wrong one and we kept having issues with the paper the paperback not coming out like amazon seeing there was errors and we couldn't put our finger on it and it turned out that i'd chosen the wrong type of paper and despite the book being the right size you know um width and height and despite the num same number of pages if you choose cream paper instead of white black and white paper it's um the spine is half a million half a millimeter thicker so as soon as we realized that, and she, she basically got it in one then, and it was perfect. But like, I was pulling my hair out being like, what is wrong? You know, why aren't we getting this sorted? And like, it's just silly little mistakes like that. Stuff, stuff I just laugh at now, but I was getting frustrated at the time because originally I wanted to publish in January, February. And like, you know, it was more like February, March in the end, which isn't the end of the world. You know, it's only like a month, but it's frustrating when you think you give yourself an ample deadline and you still miss it. So yeah, there's a learning curve, but um. You know, it's easy for me to say this now, but it was a lot of fun. 
Awesome. Well, of course, we'll have a link to that as, as there is for all of our guests at beingfreelance.com. So if you can go and check. Um, I've heard very good things about it and I'm looking forward to, to reading it as well. So that's anti-cell. So you're writing that in the evenings, but you mentioned having two young kids. How old are they? So the oldest is nearly five and the youngest is about two, two and a half. So clearly you've made being a freelancer using the flexibility of that as as a parent how have you found the work-life balance in general it's one of those things where ironically i think but it's probably just because of like the running the meetup and doing the book it's if i thought i had a, a good handle on it but i feel like i'm struggling these days so, so i guess it's one of those things i need to learn that will never be perfect and not to stress out and it's not one of those things you can get better at over time i think i think just sometimes you're busy sometimes you're less busy we're very fortunate in that my parents have now retired uh, my wife's mum lives in cardiff as well and they tend to have the boys on certain days. I try and work four day weeks best I can. That's not really going to plan at the moment, but at least like, you know, it's not the end of the world if I have to work like a Saturday or like uh, another day to make it up, I guess. But it's not something I'm happy to make a habit of. Um, My wife works four day weeks as well. So we get by in terms of income, each working sort of four day weeks. And it means that she takes Mondays off and spends time with the boys then. I try and take Wednesdays off. You know, it's it's, it's a good balance. And um, when it works, it works. It's just kind of, you know, like at the moment, like uh, I feel like I've got to like maybe work the occasional Wednesday to make it back up or some Saturdays. But, um, you know, it's just kind of the, the difficulty of freelance life where sometimes you just kind of, you know, a project takes longer than you expected or, you know, you take on, you know, a bit too much work than you can, like, you know, a bit off more than you can chew. But yeah, I like to think for the most part it works well. It's, it's quite good that um, it's, well, it's flexible for us. My wife's in full-time employment and then I'm self-employed. So at least I've got the flexibility of, you know, if I've got to be home for something or uh, I've got more flexibility to do that. Maybe she would work in four days a week. And the four days she works, she works flat out. She like gets up early, goes to work. Come, she might come home late a couple of nights. She has to travel with work as well. Um, luckily, the majority of my clients are all South Wales based. Um, so, you know, if I do have meetings, they're fairly local. So, yeah, it's, it's candy for at least one of us to have that flexibility. And so you are you doing like drop offs, for example, and then going to the co-work space from that and then finishing again at what, three or whatever? Sort of. So it depends on the day. So like um, I tend to work at the co-working space three days a week. Um, and on those three days, people, you know, whether it's my parents or my wife, Emma, can do the, you know, we're doing the school run. One day a week I take off, so I do the school run. And then there's another day where my mum-in-law, she looks after the boys, but I tend to um, do the school run just to help out. So, yeah, there's um, so that would be a case of doing this. That's on a Friday, so doing the school run, coming back and then working as much as I can, break off for lunch, uh, and then doing the school run that afternoon and you know, trying to squeeze in a bit of work around those kinds of times. When, when we were chatting about doing this, you, you mentioned your health as well and like how freelancing had had worked for that right yeah so i talk about this in the book as well i not a lot of people know about this well they do know if they've read the book but it's not something i used to be very sort of open about since about 2012 2013 i've suffered from like a chronic illness which varies in its severity sometimes i'm absolutely fine sometimes it can be near enough debilitating and it was actually one of the reasons i went self-employed i almost felt a bit guilty 
the last agency I worked for has taken off quite a lot of time and requesting, can I work from home instead for the, you know, I might be well enough to work, but not well enough to come into the office. And I felt guilty. So I, I kind of, uh, that was another reason for going uh, freelance is I knew I could be flexible. And like, you know, especially before we had the boys, um, the oldest was born about a year into my freelancing career. If I was ill on a Friday, but fine on a Saturday or Sunday, then it didn't really matter what days I worked. And, you know, I was still trying to just do X number of hours a week. It didn't really matter if it was Monday to Friday. And I do try and work as Monday to Friday, nine to five as I can, but it was good to have that flexibility. The worst of it was probably back when I first had it. So sort of like 2013, 2014, it does rear its ugly head every now and again. I think this last, this time last year, I had a really bad bout where I thought, oh God, it's back to sort of the dark days and it's kind of come back. And, um, Luckily, it's, you know, it's for the most part, I say about 80, 90% of the time, it doesn't bother me too much or it's fairly mild. So yeah, that's being like another added element of like trying to juggle work and your family with uh, that kind of additional challenge as well. And when it does become more debilitating and you're struggling to get the work done, do you relay that to your clients or do you tend to work in such a way that like you have I don't know, like deadlines much further out than they need to be. So you've got slack in your day. Like, how do you work that? The the latter. So, um, I mean, I'll tell if I I'll tell a client if I ever need to. Like, if I miss a deadline, a lot of the work I do isn't really deadline driven. There are deadlines every now and again. Don't get me wrong, and I'll try and be uh, give myself sort of ample space for a deadline. So, you know, instead of being like, uh, unless they obviously request it and need it by a certain time. So it might be that even if I think I can get something done by, you know, say today's Tuesday, even if I say, oh, I think I can get something done by the end of Thursday, I might just say the end of the week just to be on the safe side. And then if I get it done on the Thursday, then even better. They thought, wow, he's, he's, he's done it earlier. So I suppose that's kind of the way I've handled it for the most part. Um, just trying to be a bit sort of smart about how I do those kinds of things. And for the most part, it's this kind of two elements to the illness sometimes I get a bit foggy headed and I can't concentrate but sometimes it's just a bit like I just have a bit of pain and luckily so if I just have a bit of pain with it I can still kind of work as normal and just kind of maybe have a painkiller or two to try and keep it at bay so for the most part touch wood it's not been at a point where I've had to take like long stretches off work or it's you know cost me deadlines or cost me clients it's great though isn't it the fact that actually as you say being freelance being your own boss shrugs off that guilt and gives you that flexibility that being an employee wouldn't have done exactly yeah yeah it is funny that <laughs> now i always do this thing where i ask for three facts about yourself make two true one a lie and let me figure out the lie what have you got for me steve right okay i've been thinking about this and i've been dreading that like you're gonna like easily see through it so here we go so the first one is that i used to be a singer songwriter and some of my music is uh, on spotify the second one is I had a cat called Buster, and he used he was once a cat model for a pets magazine. And number three is um, the BBC filmed a Christmas episode of Doctor Who outside my house. And after it had finished, we found out they'd stolen our Christmas wreath, mistaking it as one of their props. So Doctor Who outside your house. Which doctor was it? David Tennant. Wow. You see, here's the thing. Doctor Who is or was filmed in wales yeah it's a good film in cardiff so here's the thing i'm thinking so that could be true 
Or it could be that so many of your friends have a Doctor Who related story that you've decided to make one up because Doctor Who is so often in Wales. But you picked David Tennant, which is a while ago. Okay, bust, bust of a cat. So bust of a cat had good modelling poses, <laughs> did, did he? He did. He was he was a gorgeous cat. It was an ad online that uh, I found for Pets Magazine, and um, they sent a free, freelance photographer to our house. Obviously, I couldn't really take the cat to them, to their offices, because, you know, being a bit traumatic for him. And they just needed a photo of a cat wearing a Christmas hat. So we we presented the goods. We'd not long been out of uni, and we were struggling on the job front, so it was easy money, and we got 50 quid for our troubles. So it's, you know, you can't knock it. And Buster, I loved him, bless him. He died, sadly, a few years later. He was he was like a ragdoll cat. He was one of those who sits on your lap and just purrs away. So it's just one of those, like, typical Buster memories. Couldn't cope with the fame that came from being in Pet Magazine and a few years later. And did, did Buster get treats from that 50 quid or did you just... Do you know what? I don't think he did. (laughs) We are terrible, terrible cat parents, which is a bad thing because we still have two cats. You know, hopefully we've learned from our mistakes and now look after our cats better than we looked after poor little Buster, who we just um, took advantage of, really. And you're a singer-songwriter. What were some of the songs that you've got on Spotify, like the titles? Uh, So I recorded two EPs, so sort of five track albums, like mini albums. One song was called Good Times... Another one was called The Monster We Became. Another one was called I'd Like to Share My Time With You. What was the name of the EP? So one of the EPs was called Bad River, and the other one was called Karma and Karma, which is easier to see written down rather than me saying it. But Karma is in C-A-L-M-E-R than K-A-R-M-A. Oh, my God, you're such a good liar. You've, you've got the detail for each of these stories down. Okay, I really want Buster the Cat to be true, so I'm going to say Buster the Cat was in singer-songwriter or Doctor Who. Like I say, Doctor Who could just be an easy lie, but equally, it could so be true. I mean, who's to say David Tennant wasn't filming outside your house and then they stole your... Ri- I don't think you're a singer-songwriter. Maybe the lies, actually, that's the joke because you can't sing for Toffee. Yeah, you're not a singer-songwriter. Sorry, Steve, you're wrong. Although that does mean that we can all go on Spotify and listen to Bad River by Steve Morgan, right? I do not recommend that. I'm 34 now, but it's kind of stuff I wrote and recorded when I was like 18, so it's very angsty. Brilliant. Um, Yeah, I'm probably selling it to you more now by saying that. I'm like, no, don't listen to it. It just makes it even more appealing. Yeah, so they are on Spotify. Um, If you search for Steve Morgan, there is another Steve Morgan, though, and our music's been lumped together. So I only released those two EPs, um, but there are albums by another singer-songwriter, but they're not mine. So which was the lie? Buster the Cat Model. No! Oh, that was such a good lie. I'm sorry, Steve. I'm usually terrible at lying, so it's, I'm kind of scared of myself at how good I was at um, having such an <laughs> elaborate story. Um, but no, we had a cat called Buster. He did die around, you know, his, um, we, I went to university in Lancaster and we had him and his brother Gilby. Gilby sadly passed away just a few months ago. So we had Gilby for a good 10 years. But um, Buster sadly died um, shortly after we moved to Cardiff. And um, he was a lovely cat, but um, and a, a very photogenic cat. And that's why I just thought it'd be really funny if I lied about him being a cat model 
Well done. You totally had me. The career of Buster that never was. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? The advice I tend to give people is that um, based on my mistakes or like consider a mistake is that um, I went from a full time agency job to absolutely nothing to um, I'll be a, you know, a good number of people saying that they would come on board if they were a client, but nothing concrete. And one thing I do say to people, and I, I do know a lot of people do this, is they tend to rather than go from full time job to full time freelance, they'll just try and take on a few clients in the evenings and weekends. And in my defense, uh, the last agency job I had was quite stressful. It was one of those where you got a lot going on. And I think I had to run like a massive training course on like my last but one day. So it's not really that kind of thing where I had the opportunity to, you know, to get a lot of stuff ready um, uh, on the side, you know, working a busy agency job and then trying to do freelancing on the side. So but it probably would have been the smarter move. So I, I do warn people, and I, I talk about it in the book as well. I say, you know, even if it does seem really difficult and it's really off-putting thinking as well as working a full-time job and doing some freelance work on the side, it probably would have been a smarter, safer bet. And then I could have waited until I got to a point where I had maybe three or four clients and then done the transition which would have probably been a bit smoother and a bit kinder to my bank balance and my savings. Steve, it's been really great speaking to you. There's links at beingfreelance.com through to everything that Steve's been chatting about, be it the meetups uh, or the book, of course, Anti-Cell, if you want to check that out as well. Oh, and actually, maybe we'll dig out the Spotify links for you too. <laughs> Uh, your funeral your funeral <laughs> <laughs> okay no i'll leave that i'll leave you to do the treasure troving for yourself on that one and if you see david tennant if you can ask for um steve's christmas wreath man that would be good and of course we chatted about uh having kids and stuff like that and the, the juggle of life with that if you are a freelancing parent don't forget as well as doing this podcast i also co-host the doing it for the kids podcast so if you're a freelancing parent or you're about to become one search for doing it for the kids it's only like 20 minutes long and it's me and frankie from the doing it for the kids community doing like a q a like an agony aunt type answering the question type thing but it's a lot of fun uh, and hopefully of some use as well so search for that as well but for now steve thank you so much and well all the best being freelance yeah thank you steve thank you so much for having me as well i've really enjoyed this and really appreciate the opportunity 